Hey, tonight, uh, like I said, we're going to start a new, it's a five-week series. I've got to be honest with you, I've been, I've been kind of nervous about it, but I've been really excited all spring to start this tonight. And then I'll uh, just tell you what's coming. This five-week series kind of segues into another series that lasts for six weeks, but it really is going to follow kind of the same theme for the rest of the summer, where we're going to open up God's Word and try to answer a couple questions that go like this. Um, all summer, we're going to ask these two questions. What does it mean to be a Christian? And what does it mean to be a church? Now, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a church? Now, here's the thing. For some of us in this room, our immediate response is, 11 weeks on that? Why are we going to spend so much time on that? Because I already know the answer to both of those. And that's why we're going to spend so much time on that. And here, here's what I mean by that. See, in a room like this, um, we, this room is full of people who have opinions and viewpoints and past experiences and different backgrounds. And in a growing church like Flatirons, some of those are very different and some of you are very strong, okay? And that's not a bad thing at all, unless it conflicts with what Jesus would say if we ask him the same two questions, all right? So maybe a better way to describe this summer would be this. For the next several weeks, we're going to open up the Bible and see how Jesus defined what it meant to be a Christian, which makes sense since the word Christian literally translates little Christ or imitator of Jesus. And so it makes sense to go back to the original kind of version of Jesus, like Jesus, and, and ask him, okay, what, what does it mean to be a Christian? And then this thing called church, Jesus, that was your idea. When you had an idea called church, what did you have in mind? And the follow-up question is, is Flatirons even close to that? Are, are we even in the same neighborhood? And, and here's why we're going to ask both those questions, because um, we've said this many times before, is that given enough time, most organizations, but in my life what I've found to be true, especially churches, if you give them enough time, they tend to drift off course and all this weird, goofy stuff becomes a part of churches that never was really supposed to be in there, all right? So that's the first reason. The second reason this is so important is that once we define our terms, then we can begin to apply the so what. In other words, here's what I mean, is that if this is what it means to be a Christian, according to Jesus, and if this is what Jesus meant when he said, you know, let there be church, the so what of that would be then this is what it would look like 2,000 years ago 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years later in, in Colorado. Or you could say it like this. If this is what Jesus had in mind and what he wanted us to do and be, I want to make sure that we're not, not doing enough or that we're doing too much. Because both of those will jack up everything and kind of screw the whole church Christianity thing up. Now, I've kind of come up with, and you, know, you don't have to obey these if you don't want to, but here's some, some ground rules, if you want to call them that, for this whole series. And here's what I mean by that. Um, as we study, study and discover what Jesus said and did, here's what we need to agree on. If we don't agree on this, then you might want to come back in September because it's really a moot point, okay? Here's what I mean, all right? Here's what we need to agree on. First of all, Jesus trumps us. He's the boss, okay? Jesus trumps us. When, when, Jesus, when we open the Bible and say, this is what Jesus said and this is what Jesus did, that trumps what I think or what you feel or what your mom told you to believe, okay? As we open up the Bible and say, this is what Jesus taught, that trumps us. And the second thing is, and if different than Jesus, we need to change our definitions, not ask him to change his, okay? All right, we need to change, ask, we need to change, don't ask Jesus to change. See, if Jesus defines truth as something different than I've always thought truth was, okay, then we need to, and the Bible word is repent, but it really means just, we need to change our view, we need to change our, the way we think about that and then hold on to what Jesus said is truth. I thought this was truth. Jesus actually said it's that. To repent is, okay, I take this. 
Okay, that's the word repent. And then the third one goes, then we need to put it into practice. Okay, this is not the summer of religious theory. This is not the time to sit here and go, I see where he's going with this. No, you don't. Unless you get up out of this room and go and, uh, and apply it, okay? It's not just change the way you believe. It's change the way you believe and then get up and go act accordingly. And that will always be the toughest. All right? So here's question number one. We're going to kind of launch into this, all right? What is a Christian? You know, if, if Jesus were come up here and I, I could interview Jesus and go, hey, Jesus, what did you have in mind when you said, you know, you know be a Christian or whatever? What do you think he would say? And here's the thing is we don't have to kind of speculate on what that would be or what he might say. Instead, we can open up the Bible and we can say, well, this is, this is what he told us that it meant. For example, as you read through the biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you find Jesus kind of throwing out these, these terms about what it meant to be a Christian. For example, Jesus, what's it mean to be a Christian? His first thing would probably say is, you gotta, I need you to follow me, a follower. All right, if you're taking notes, this would be the time to steal some pin off some lady's purse and start writing stuff down, okay? Uh, according to Jesus, a Christian is a person who is a follower. As again, as you read through the stories of Jesus, and, and you know, Jesus would you know, be down, walking by a lake or you know, down by a river or walking through you know, a road or whatever, and he would encounter people or bump into people or have a conversation with people, usually the first thing he said to them was not, all right, you're a sinner and you need to stop doing that, and I watched you over there and I saw you smoking behind the rock. And it wasn't that at all. His, his thing that he said was, um, just come follow me. If you read that over and over, Jesus said, just come follow me, which translates, just come hang out with me. Just spend some time with me. Just, just watch me and listen to me and learn from me. And if you have some questions, ask me some questions. The very first friends and you know, followers, disciples would be another word for that, of Jesus. When their friends found out that they were following Jesus, they would ask them, now who, who is Jesus? And you know what the most common response was? I'm not really sure yet but why don't you come and see for yourself and then you can decide. So they would invite their friends to come and see or come and follow him. So uh, this is how it starts. Uh, uh, a Christian is a person who's accepted Jesus' invitation to just come and follow me. That's how it starts. And here's the thing about it. It never ends. You never stop learning from Jesus until you know, they put you in the, 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 the ground. We will always want to be a follower or a learner from Jesus. The second thing, if you ask Jesus, going, okay, so... Um, now, what does it mean to be a Christian? He would say a follower and a believer. A believer, okay? Eventually, if you follow, hang out with, study, listen to, you know, uh, argue with, ask Jesus enough questions, eventually you and Jesus are going to have a conversation. And Jesus will ask you this question. He asks all of his followers this question. It goes like this. Well, who do you say I am? What do you think about me? Who do you say I am? See, a Christian is not just a religious student. I study, you know, Jesus. I study Buddha. I study, you know, Muhammad. I study all of them. And I'm trying to just figure it all out. A Christian is not just a, a religious student. A Christian is a person who, after, you know, hanging out with Jesus and hearing him and, and considering the life and the claims of Jesus, like who he said he was and what he claimed to be able to do, when Jesus asked the question, who do you say I am? A Christian is a person who answers that question with, I, I think you're the Christ, and Christ means, it's the Jewish word for, I think you're the one that can connect me back to God. That's what Christ means, all right? The son of the living God. To which Jesus responded most of the time is, hey, the only reason you're able to believe that, let alone say it, is that God taught you that. God did something in, in your heart. That's the only thing. I mean, that's between you and God. I mean, you, nobody can make you do, believe that. See, Jesus taught that a Christian is a person who believes. Another word for belief is, is has faith or, or trust or depends on. Jesus said a Christian is a person who's counting on, depending on what Jesus did 
you know, 2,000 years ago. He died on a cross, he was buried in a tomb, and three days later rose from the dead. A Christian is a person who says, I'm banking on that to connect me back to God. That's what I think is the only thing that can really get me back with God. So a, person has, a Christian is a person who has faith in Jesus to connect him back to God. Later, a guy named Paul said it a different way. He said it like this. He says, for, and these are famous verses right here. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, through trust. So you've been saved, all right, through, through faith, connected to God. And this isn't from yourself. It's, it's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. See, see Paul has... Paul's this guy that, you know, he, he didn't like Jesus. As a matter of fact, he had a lot of people that followed Jesus, like thrown in prison and stuff like that. And then he became a Christian, and that jacked up everything, all right? And so then he went around the whole Middle East starting churches. And then after a while, he would come back and revisit those churches. And what he found is that there's, there's this tendency among Christians to believe in Jesus and the cross and, whole, and that whole thing. But then they start adding stuff to it. All right, yeah, so we're saved, you know, we're reconnected back to God through what Jesus did on the cross. Um, but there's some other stuff, too. Like, it's grace through faith, but you also have to stop doing that. Or it's grace through faith, but um, you're going to have to give more or do more or whatever. Or it's, it's grace through faith, um, and you're going to have to. And they, they, didn't, they just had long lists. You're going to have to eat different stuff, drink different stuff, talk differently, and not wear that again. All right? See, back, back in Paul's day, the, there, let me tell you how far some people took this. Some of the very first Christians, because they'd all used to have been Jewish, the first Christians, all right? They went so far, they led a movement that said, if you want to become a Christian, first you have to become a Jew, then you become a Christian. So they pull out the book of Leviticus and start working through the 600 laws that you find there. You have to do this and not eat this and not touch this. And on this day, you can't do this and all this. And by the way, you have to be circumcised. There were people that actually taught, if you want to become a Christian, you have to have surgery, all right? To which Paul was like, no, you don't. And all the men are going, oh, amen. All right. So anyway, listen to this. See, because he writes a letter to these people in Galatia, this little town over there in the Middle East. And he says this. He says, brothers. So he's talking to Christians. You people that, you know, claim to be connected to God through Jesus. Okay, so brothers, all right? If I'm still preaching circumcision, like rules and, and regulations and jump through hoops and you got to do this right and all that and never do that, why am I still being persecuted? See, in that case, you know, the offense of the cross has been abolished. In other words, you know, if you can reconnect to God through, you know, circumcision or stop drinking that, stop eating that, and don't go to that building and always go to that building or something like that, why, why do we need Jesus? All right? It's, I mean, it's been abolished. As for those agitators, you Christians that are trying to say, yeah, it's, it's Jesus plus some other stuff, <laughs> this is great. I wish they'd just go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You have to ask your doctor what that means. It's horrible, okay? But it, the sign language person last, last hour, wow. Okay, so anyway, verse, verse 13 goes like this. Now you, my brothers, all right, were called to be, and what's the word? You, my brothers, all right, you were called to be, come on, free, not slaves. You know, not, oh, no, am I saved? I don't know if I'm saved or not. You, you, you've been set free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. See, the entire law, Bible, you know, is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. See, Paul understood what Jesus taught, that a, a Christian is a person who is who's saved, reconnected back to God by grace through faith alone. And while grace is never, ever permission to just keep on blowing off God or to keep on sinning, all right, um, rule keeping and oops, I made a mistake have no impact on whether or not you're saved or not. That's what Jesus taught. 
So if you've kind of fallen behind in your note-taking, here's, let me catch you up, all right? According to Jesus, a Christian is a person who is a follower, an ongoing student uh, of Jesus, always learning, always growing until, you know, we finally live with him. And then uh, a Christian is a believer, is a person who's trusting in what Jesus did on the cross as the only reconnection possible back to God. Now there's one more, all right? See, along with follow me and trust me, Jesus' most common command, especially in the, the second half of, of the Gospels, simply went like this, okay? As I've done for you, you do that for one another. He said it over and over and over and over, all right? You, you've, you've been following me for a while, and now you really actually buy into the fact that I'm, I'm the one that can connect you back to God. Now, here's what I want to teach you. Now, as I've taught you, I, I want you to do that to one another. As I have loved you, I want you to love one another. As I've served you, I want you to serve one another. I came to seek and save the lost. And the word save is sozo, all right? Which means it's like a person standing on a cliff and they're about to fall off. I came to look for people and pull them back from destruction. I want you to do the same. I want you to get up out of your church buildings and go out there and find people that are just about ready to, you know, to, to, go, to go off the edge of the cliff. And I want you to do everything you can to, to pull them back towards, toward, toward her safety. I want you to, what I did for you, I want you to do that. The last thing Jesus said, like the, the last speech on earth he ever gave before he returned to heaven went like this. He looked at some guys up on a hill who were believing followers and said, listen, I have a mission. I have a mission for you, okay? I'm leaving for like 2,000 years and counting, all right? All right, here's the mission for my believing followers. I want you to leave this mountain and I want you to go to the ends of the world and eventually this place called Colorado. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to make disciples. I want you to invite people to come follow me for themselves. And then after they spend some time with me, all right, I'm going to have a conversation with them and they're going to believe. They're actually going to put their faith in me. I want you to baptize them. And then after they come up out of the water, here's what I want you to do. Whatever you taught me, however I've treated you, you, you start doing that to, to one another. That's, that's what I want you to do. So a Christian, you know, if you're, again, is a, is a follower who believes, who is, and the word I'm going to use tonight is, is missional, translated on a mission to spread the awesome love and life of Christ to hurting, broken world. See, in Jesus' mind, all right, this, this being a Christian is like a three-legged stool. He says it's like this. It's like, okay, first of all, I want you to follow me. Just watch. Just learn. Just study. Just listen to me for a while, okay? And then you'll come to a point where you go, you know what? I really think that you're the son of God. I think you're the one that connected me back to God, all right? I, I believe, all right? And you're saved. And then I want you to, I want you to go and, and love people. It's all three, but this, this last one, this love one another, all right, um, Jesus said this last leg of the stool is so important. As a matter of fact, he said this is the only thing that even comes close to a litmus test of, do you really believe? Do you really follow me? Because one time Jesus said this, by this, this one, this last stool, all men will know that you're my believing followers if you, what? Love one another. That's a, you know, he didn't say if you go to church and if you stop doing this and start doing this. I'm telling you, here's like the biggest kind of evidence that really shows that you get me, that you follow me and you believe that I am who I said I am, is if, if you just love one another. So I, I could kind of boil this down to one sentence, everything I've said so far. It goes like this. According to Jesus, a Christian is a believing disciple or follower of Jesus on a mission to love people the way Jesus has loved them. Does that make sense? Can you hang with that? Because that's how Jesus described it. Now, you could probably add some other legs and stuff in there, but I'm telling you, those three are the legs that this whole thing kind of stands on. And these three legs are so important that if you take any one of those legs out of a three-legged stool, it falls apart. And here's what I mean by that, okay? And see if this doesn't sound familiar, all right? Now, it's time, and some of you are going to be really excited about this, and everybody's going to go, oh, I think I'll go get some coffee right now. And it's, it's, it's Bible history time. 
Yeah, some of you going, yeah, this is why I come here, all right, all right? So, yeah, and some of you, you know, just stay with me. And if you can just hang through the next 10 or 15 minutes, the last 10 minutes you're going to go, this is why I come to this church, all right? So here it goes, all right? Um, and, and as I talk about this, see if, we're going to talk about 2,000 years ago, but nothing's changed. As a matter of fact, it's going to sound very, very familiar. And here's what I mean. Back in Jesus' day, the religious world was kind of di- divided into two political camps, not that you know, Christians are ever political, but just go with this, all right, all right? So anyway, so you got, you got you know, religion, and it's kind of divided into two, two kind of thoughts. The first group were called Pharisees, all right? And you say, well, I'm going to forget these terms. Just remember the concept, okay? The first group were called Pharisees, and Pharisees were what we would call today sectarians or separatists, okay? Um, meaning this, they were people who taught and practiced that in order to be with God, let alone stay connected with God, because it's very possible to disconnect with God after you're already connected with Him. Listen, you, um, you need to separate from, your, from everything. You need to like build big walls around your house and go live on top of mountains and just get away from the sinful world. You need to separate from anything that, that, that might you know, be, be bad. They came up with a long list of rules and regulations thinking if we stay away from bad stuff and we stay away from bad people, then we won't be bad and we'll actually be, be good. And these separatists or these Pharisees, they really begin to believe that the reason they were clean before God, that God kind of owed them heaven, is they could point to all this whole long list of, you see what I did? You see what I did? You see what I don't do? And they thought they were better than everybody else, at least holier than everybody else, because they could throw stones and yell at people and go, you're not doing the list. And, and they, they really thought that they, they, were, they were better. And they were always pointing fingers. And by the way, they conveniently forgot their own sins. They never talked about that and their own, uh, their own hip- hypocrisy, all right? Listen to what Mark Driscoll says about these. He's a, he's a pastor out in St. Louis. He's talking about them back then, but actually he's talking about Christians today. See if this sounds familiar at all. He says this. He says, sadly, many people despise Christianity because all they have known are arrogant, self-righteous, and judgment, judgmental people claiming to be Christians. This is hard for you guys to believe, but just go with it, Okay who avoid them, the sinners, all right, as if they were infected and do little more than yell at them to be moral when they should be explaining how to be redeemed or how to be reconnected back to God. Does that sound familiar? Well, what happened? I'll tell you, the legs fell off, or at least one of them. See, these Pharisees, you know, these, you know, these, these, these Bible-preaching Christians, and there's nothing wrong preaching the Bible. They're preaching Jesus, and they're preaching sin, and they're preaching hell. The leg they forgot about is love people. They forgot to love people. See, and here's what I found in my own life and in the life of people that I've talked to in this world. It doesn't matter if you're saying something true. If the people you're saying it to don't believe that you care about them or you know, really have a genuine interest in them or, or love them, it doesn't matter. And there's a lot of Christians in this world and there's a lot of churches in this world you know, saying and preaching true things, but they're saying them in such a mean way, nobody cares, right? Because they forgot to love people. Well, they refuse to love people. And I think, you know, the reason so many Christians are mean to to sinners, you know, right, is because another leg fell off the stool. They've forgotten. And I would say of those three legs, if there was a most important one, this, this would be it. It goes like this. This is the pillar of our faith. It goes like this. Everyone has screwed up. You know, let me say it like this. All have fallen short of the glory and perfection of God, and the wages of sin is death, and the only way to get out from under the condemnation of sin is by faith in Jesus Christ, and then he gives you forgiveness as a free gift of grace, all right? See, it's really hard to be mean to sinners, let alone yell at them and throw stones at them, when you realize that the only reason that you're not going to hell 
for your sins has nothing to do with because you stopped doing this or started doing this, but 100% rests on the fact that Jesus forgave you, gave you a break and died on a cross for you. That's the only thing connected you back to God. Here's the, here's the best way I can explain this, okay? Tomorrow night after merge, I'm you're driving to DIA, I'm getting on an airplane, I'm going to LA, all right? So, so let's just go with me on this, all right? Tomorrow night, let's say that I go down to the beach, all right? And I got an idea. It's not a good idea, but it's an idea. And the idea goes like this. I'm going swimming. And I'm going to swim further than any human being has ever swam before. So I just jump in the ocean and I start swimming west. And I'm going for it. And I'm not talking about like Hawaii. I'm like Japan, okay? I'm going for it. Now, I don't know what the world record is in swimming. You know, let's just call it 100 miles, all right? I I don't know. But it's like 7,000 miles to Japan, okay? But I jump in there. And let's say I swim better than you ever could swim. I swim better than anybody's ever swam before. Let's say I make it like 300 miles, okay? I'm 300 miles out in the ocean, and I have this horrible aha moment that goes like this. I'm really tired. You know, I got a cramp, you know, and I'm pretty sure that's a shark. You know, I'm in a little bit of a panic, and, and, and here's the thing is, I, I'm so tired, I don't even think I can make it back to California, let alone the 67, 70, well, how, do the math, all right? Thousands of miles it is onto Japan. So I'm basically down for the count. I am lost. About that time, this, this boat comes doo, 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 you know, up beside me, and the captain goes, are you okay? And my response, I have a choice. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine, you all right? Or, no, I'm not fine. And so the captain yells over the side and goes, hey, um, I'm going to Japan. You want to go with me? I got a decision. Nope, I think I can do this. That's a foolish decision, by the way, but it's my decision, all right? Or I make a good decision going, yeah, I would like to. He says, okay, I'm going to throw you a rope. You receive that rope, and I'll pull you aboard. The captain throws me a rope, and I look at the rope and go, it's blue. I was actually expecting, you know, a red one, you know, but, you know, it's like, you know, it's all right. So I receive the rope, and the rope pulls me on board, and the boat goes on to Japan. Now, I, I land in Japan, and I, and, I, and I get out on the beach, you know, and all these Japanese people walk up to me, and I, I don't know any... Arigato, you know, Mr. Roboto, that's all I know. Okay, so anyway, so anyway, so what translates, I think, is how'd you get here? My response is probably not, I'm a great swimmer. I'm boasting about my swimming. You see, I've, I swam further than anybody else. No, 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 no. Here's what I'll probably say. Um, you're not going to believe this, but I tried to actually swim here on my own, and I started to drown. And then this really good captain stopped and picked me up, and he brought me here. And they will say back to me, the most common phrase I think we're going to hear in the first five minutes of heaven that goes like this. Yeah, me too. How did you get here? Um, I screwed up my life. Jesus forgave me, carried me here. Yeah, me too. See, me too is the opposite of hypocrisy. When you're a me too person, let alone a me too church, you can't yell at people. You, 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 you can't throw stones at people. When you realize that, hey, we were in the boat, we were both in the same predicament, and then we got in the same boat, and that, Jesus is the only one that got us here. So, there's, there's that, so that's the one line, is that, is, that, is that, okay, here's what Jesus did for me, but then I had to do some other stuff too. The other religious group in Jesus' day, they were called the Sadducees, the Sadducees, and, and they weren't separatists, like, let's get away from the world. They were the opposite. It's like, let's just put it all together. Let's just take the world and what the Bible says and, stuff like that, and let's kind of synchronize them into one thing. And, and so here's, a, here's what they would do. It's like, hey, here's my life. And then here's what God said. And if God said something that really makes me uncomfortable with my life, I'll just leave that part out. And I'll just rip that page out of the Bible and go, it's not in my Bible. You know, or, or I'll just ignore it or I just, I just, I just won't, won't do it. All right. Um, 
Sadducees rarely used words, and maybe you've been to a church that's Sadducee-like. It goes like, they, they rarely use words like sin. You know, they, 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 uh, they never use words like judgment or standing before God. And then you carry that on a little bit further because there's no sin. Sadducees didn't believe in heaven or the afterlife, which in Sunday school I learned is why they were sad, you see. Ta-da. Anyway, but that's sorry. Anyway, but anyway, that's the only thing you'll remember. Uh, but anyway, that, Sadducees taught this. God loves everybody. It, God loves everybody. And you just need to try to be a good person and be nice to other people, you know. That's all you need to do. In other words, it's universalism. Is that all paths really do kind of end up to heaven. Just whatever you believe, believe with all your heart. And in the end, if there is an end, it, it's all good. Again, one of the legs fell off. You know which one? Faith. See, a, a person like this might love people because churches like this really are trying to help people. Um, the problem is they don't love God or, or His Word, which is a strong statement, which is why I'm going to read a Bible verse now to say I didn't make this up. Look at this. It says, we know, okay, that we have come to know Him and Him is God, so we know we're connected to God if... We obey his commands. Now, this is really important. We don't obey his commands and then we're connected to God. We're connected to God and because of that, it changed us and we begin to obey him. See, the man who says, I know him, but does not do, uh, but, but does not do what he commands is a liar. About what? About knowing him. And the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete or mature in him. This is how we know we are in him. This is how we know you're connected to God. Is that whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. See, Jesus loved people and he obeyed God's commands. It was both. Now, here's the problem with both these positions. And this is where, this is where we're going to go with this locked up theme. So you're going, that was the introduction? I know. I know, I want to go to supper too, so just hang on a little bit, okay? This is, this is why this Pharisee and this Sadducee things both kind of end up in a locked up position. See, the Pharisee, that rule-keeping Christian, and some of us are those, those Pharisees. Some of us know those Pharisees or have been wounded by those Pharisees, but a Pharisee Christian is trying to prove to himself or God or everybody around that I'm a good person because of all the list of rules that I keep, or I might not be a good person, but I'm better than them because they don't keep the same set of rules. Now, let me kind of talk about this locked up thing. A Pharisee or a a legalistic rule-keeping Christian puts a big lock on the front door and says, the only people welcome in this church are good people. And if you're not good, then stay away until you get your act together, and then maybe you can come and worship God with us. So so they've they've locked themselves in, but they've locked sinners out, at least by their definition. The Sadducee... um, you know, says, you know, it's, it's all good, doesn't matter. They, they really don't need faith or grace. They don't even really need Jesus. Because they believe, you know, in their hearts, you know, I, I'm really not that bad inside. And my actions, you know, they're, they're, they're not that sinful. And as long as, you know, sincere people try to do the best they can, and that's good enough. In other words, Sadducees have put a big lock on the front door of the church. But they said, everybody, everybody come in, doesn't matter. Everybody's welcome here except God. He's a little intrusive. He says some things that hurts our, hurt our feelings. And see, the, the danger with both the Pharisee and the Sadducee is that when you try to lock anybody out, either you know, people that aren't good enough or God because you don't need him or want him because he'll say something that you don't want to hear, what you're going to find is you haven't just locked people out or God out. You've locked yourself in to a greater prison, and the name of that prison is called pride and arrogance and self-righteousness. Now, all that's a setup for what I want to do this whole month. This, for the next few weeks. Here's what I want to do. I want to take a look at a few examples 
Now, these examples aren't what this is about. They just illustrate something else that's going on. But I want to look at a few examples in our world, in our culture today, that Christians have either taken a Pharisee, you know, Christian stance and said too much when they should have shut up, or a Sadducee position where they've not said enough. They've taken things out. And then hopefully, the goal of this whole thing is to land on a position that lines up with what Jesus actually taught and demonstrated, which by definition is what a Christian is. Following Jesus, putting my faith and trust in him, and then getting up and going and loving people like he did. Now, here's the example I want to use today. I grew up in the church. You know, I said this last week. If you think you've been to church, I've been to church more than you. Okay, my dad's a pastor, so we went at least three times a week, all right, Um, plus youth group and choir, all right, my grandpa's a pastor, so even when I went on vacation, we went to grandpa's, we went to church another five times a week, all right, my mom was the organist and and led the choir, I'm telling you, I've been to church, and here's the thing, I grew up in a small town, so everybody I knew went to a version of the same church, all right? So everybody in my life, this is going to be hard for you to believe, you know, if you grew up in a big city or something like that, but I'm telling you, everybody in my life kind of all believed the same thing. And one of the things that was drilled into me from a very young age goes like this. Consuming alcohol in any form is a sin. Did anybody else grow up with that? I feel your pain. Okay, here, all right. So anyway, now, see, when I was a little kid, it didn't matter. It didn't even matter. I, you know, I, 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 no, this is hard to believe. I didn't know anybody that drank alcohol. I really, I really didn't, you know, at least openly. You know, I, I didn't. You know, we'd drive down the road and there'd be a bar and we'd go, oh, everybody look left. You know, I mean, that's just the way, that's the way I grew up, all right? So I didn't even know about alcohol until high school and then I found it, you know? And here's the thing is, is that alcohol to a Christian kid is the perfect rebellion. There's just something about us, right? kids that says, I've got the devil's brew. I'm such a bad person, you know? And we, you know, and we, we do that. So that's how I kind of live my, my, the first part of my Christian life. And then I graduated high school and I went to a Christian college, all right, which required me to sign a book on the communion table that said, I promise that I won't drink alcohol the entire time I'm enrolled in this college, which I hypocritically signed, got in a car with my buddies and went to dollar picture night. That's just, that's what I did. That's how I rolled. All right. So now here's the thing is, all right, <laughs> Stay with me. So going, I really like, thanks for inviting me. This is great. All right. So now, now growing, hang with me. Okay. Whenever, you know, growing up, you know, not just growing up, but you know, in, in high school, I'd ask my youth leaders in college, I'd ask my professors when I went on staff with my church, with different churches, I would ask the, the elders or even the lead pastor, you know, and I'd ask them questions about alcohol. And I don't ever remember getting a, a straight or clear answer as to why it was bad. It just was. Don't ask any more questions. Even though I knew that one of my professors secretly made wine on his back porch. And every church I've been on staff with had staff people that every time they went out of town snuck one. I'm just telling you, all right? When I asked, you know, people that knew the Bible well about, you know, people in the Bible, you know, it says right there, they drank wine. I was told, well, back then it was different. Like, what do you mean? Well, back then the wine was made different. It really wasn't fermented the way it is now. It was more like grape juice. And then I go, yeah, but that person got drunk. So apparently some of the grape juice had some kick, all right? <laughs> you know, and, and nobody had an answer for me. So I did a radical thing. I just started studying it for myself. Open up a Bible and, you know, if, if, you, you know, if you're offended by this, you know, tonight or something like that, you know, I, pray about it and then do a Bible study. And if you land somewhere different, then, then, then we'll talk, okay? But here's what, I studied the Bible in regards to alcohol. And here's what I've found to be true according to the Bible. All right? One is, the Bible is clear that drunkenness for everybody is a sin. 
Getting drunk is a sin, meaning go back to high school and college. You know, I did not drink because I enjoyed the bouquet. I don't even know what that means. You know, I don't think Boone's Farm Apple Wine had a bouquet, all right? It had a screw off top, and that was good enough for me, all right? So, so anyway, it's like, no, I, I drank to catch a buzz, right? I, 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 I drank, you know, to get, to get drunk. That's, so, and that was a sin. So, you know, there you go. In high school and college, you know, you're drinking to get drunk. I drank to, it was a sin. Now, the Bible goes on and says, now, in the Old Testament, so this is the time before Jesus, no priest was to drink wine while performing his duties at the temple, although he could drink wine at home when he wasn't on duty at, you know, at the big religious building. Um, most of us can hang with this. The Bible says that no king or no judge is to drink wine while they're sitting on the bench holding court and passing judgment on people. Most of us would say, that's a good one. That's a good one. you believe in God or not, that would just be good because I'm pretty sure I got a judgment. That's something else, all right? But... Uh, the Bible, and we'll talk more about this another time, but the Bible says that no drunkard, someone who continually over and over gets drunk, will, will inherit the kingdom of God. It can separate you from God. We'll talk about more of that another day. But then, then another one I found in here is that Christians, and this is going to just rock some of your worlds, all right, especially tomorrow night at Merge, it goes like this. Christians are to obey the government in regards to alcoholic consumption, which means that underage drinking is a sin. It's off limits. So go back to high school and college for me. It's a sin on two reasons. One is that I, I'm under the authority that God has put over me. My parents, the government, and I'm a liar because I didn't have to sign the book. I didn't have to go to college. I didn't have to pledge my, my honor and my word that says, I promise, if you'll let me come to this college, I, I won't drink. There are a lot of colleges. I'm a liar. That, that, that's the sin that I engaged in when I went to college and told them I wouldn't drink and then got in the car and blew it off. So that's what the Bible says some about drinking. But then as I study more, the Bible actually describes occasions. This is where someone's going to get nervous um, when it's actually good and appropriate to drink alcohol in moderation. You know, the Bible and the prophets and Jesus said, you know, uh, drinking alcohol is, is really appropriate in times of celebration, like to celebrate the Lord's Supper or communion. That, that wine that Jesus passed around wasn't Welch's. It was the real stuff. It really, it really was. Um, uh, the, the Bible says that sometimes it's good to drink a little wine for your stomach for medicinal purposes. Uh, the, the, the Bible actually says that you can, as an act of worship, drink wine in such a way that's worshipful to God, as an act of thanksgiving to God, which is every time they harvested in all the grapes or all the crops, they made wine out of it and celebrated that God had been good to them. Um, drinking wine or drinking alcohol is, is, a, is a way of biblically rejoicing to express happiness over something really good that's happened in your life. I'll give you an example of that. The very first miracle that Jesus ever performed, all right, uh, was at a wedding which is a time for celebration, all right? Ah, that makes me nervous, all right? But anyway, uh, in a little town in Israel called Cana. Now, Jesus and his, his followers and his mom <laughs> had all been invited to this big wedding. Now, Jewish weddings weren't like ours, you know, Saturday afternoon, you know, and you do the ceremony, then you go, oh, we'll stay an hour, then we're going home, all right? It's not like that. You moved in like for a week. This was like, yeah, this is, this is good, okay? Um, but so they're at the party, you know, and you know, maybe they've got you know, their tents outside, and they're, they're all in the dining hall or whatever, and they run out of wine. I don't know if, you know, if they didn't order enough. I don't know if more guests showed up or whatever. But Mary comes, you know, and finds Jesus on the dance floor or something like that and goes, excuse me, Jesus, you need to fix this. The bar has run dry. This isn't good. And Jesus, this is this, all right, and this is making some of you uncomfortable, but Pray about it because this is in the Bible. So, so Jesus looks over in the corner and he sees some jars, not mason jars, all right? He sees six jars that are between 20 and 30 gallons. 
big party. Okay, all right, so a big, big, big party. And so he says, bring those, bring those over here. So they bring them over. He says, look at this, John chapter 2. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Okay, we're not wasting any space, okay? Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. That's like the caterer or the, you know, the wedding coordinator or something like that. Take, take some of that water to, to him. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into grape, no, no wine. He, the, 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 the caterer, he did not realize where it had come from. Though the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. Then the, the caterer called the bridegroom aside and said, this is great, all right? He said, hey, listen, everyone, like every other wedding I've been in, all right, brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. You been to that party? It's like, ah, oh, this is crap. But anyway, but, but you've saved the best till now. Apparently, Jesus isn't, about, isn't against alcohol. He's against cheap, bad alcohol. <laughs> All right? So that's what the Bible tells, teaches about it. Now, listen, if, if you can study God's word, all right, you know, again, I'm with you on drunkenness and underage drinking and, and when you're in a place of, of responsibility, you need to really be temperate and stuff like that. And so I'm with you on that, but the Bible really is clear on this. And historically, alcohol and Christianity have, have kind of had a long relationship. I've been reading a book by Mark Driscoll called Reformation, and it has this chapter, which is why I bought the book in the first place, and one of our elders recommended it to me. The name of the chapter was The Sin of Light Beer. I love that, all right? But in this, this is, what, this is what Driscoll says. He says, a great number of God's people have enjoyed alcohol through the years. St. Gaul, the one who took the gospel to England, was a renowned brewer. Under Charlemagne, the emperor, the church, the church was the exclusive brewer, maker of beer, in all of Europe, a few hundred years ago, when a woman was preparing for marriage, her church, and if some of you have this gift, we might want to look at this, her church brewed a special bridal ale, which is why, where we get the word bridal. It was, it, was, it was the church, all her Christian brothers and sisters, brewed up a special pot and said, now we're going to celebrate your, your, your wedding. Pastor John Calvin, who's probably one of the most famous pastors in, in terms of the last several hundred years, his annual salary, and I'm going to renegotiate mine possibly, included 250 gallons of wine a year. <laughs> he had a fun house. All right, so uh, Martin Luther, who's responsible for the reason all of us are not Catholics, because several hundred years ago he said, hey, let's kind of branch off and go a different, still follow God's word, but a different way. He wrote this, he said, um, while I sat still and drank beer with Philip and Amsdorf, God dealt the papacy, the Pope, a mighty blow. It means while, I, while we sat back, you know, we, we kind of threw out our belief system, and God started dealing with those people over there, and we just sat here and drank beer while it happened. Martin Luther's wife, by the way, was, was a very skilled brewer. As a matter of fact, one of the letters that they recovered that, that Martin Luther wrote to his wife says, I miss you and your beer. <laughs> That's a Valentine's card, that right there, all right? Um, how about this? When the pilgrims landed at Plymouth Rock, and the reason the pilgrims came here, remember? They were looking for freedom from religious persecution. The first building they built was not a church. It was a brewery. It was a long trip, okay? So they landed on Plymouth Rock, and there they went. My, my, my favorite author, uh, probably my favorite author of all, of all time, his name is C.S. Lewis, debated theology and wrote much of his material, like the Chronicles of Narnia, things like that sitting on a stool in his favorite pub in England. You know, really, until about 125 years ago, Chris, the Christian faith and alcoholic consumption um, weren't at odds in any way. 
you know, what happened. And here's the other thing is, why are we talking about this tonight? Why is this important? Here's why. It matters because I just picked alcohol, but you could fill in the blank, and over the next month, we're going to fill in the blank with different stuff. But alcohol is just one example of the dangers of Sadducees, you know, taking God's word and leaving stuff out and making it mean things it doesn't, or Pharisees putting all these rules and regulations on people. It can blow the whole thing apart. And, and here's what I mean by that. Uh, about 100 year, 125 years ago, politically, the feminist movement was kind of getting its, kind of its feet under it here in the United States. And, and that that's, 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 can be a good thing. Women were, were tired of saying, I'm tired of being abused. I'm tired of being left out of the system. I'm tired of having no say. I'm tired of basically being you know, at the beck and call of, of, of men. So they began to look for some, some rights and, and civil rights in this world, which is a great thing. But at that time, when this was happening, all the, uh, the, 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 the theology and, and business and religion, the, the, the big important subjects, were being discussed in pubs and bars, and women weren't allowed to go in there. So the only place really, the only kind of leverage they had was the church. They had a voice in the church. So they went to their church leaders and began to pressure them, we need you to start preaching against the bars and against alcohol and make it a vice a sin for Christians to engage in any type of alcoholic beverage and then they can't go there and then we can get in. Now, here's what happened, okay? This isn't slamming women. This is slamming a group of Christians who, who invented a, a theology, a view of God and of Scripture to support, to support something that they wanted to happen politically but had nothing to do with God. They took God's word and manipulated it and misused it for something that they wanted to accomplish. That's the Sadducees. And then over time, I'm with you, all right? Uh, over time, this mindset has become so entrenched in fundamental Christianity in, in this Pharisee mindset that now many, and obviously most, depending on what part of the country you, you land in, and I'm from the South, so here you go, all right? Many, if not most Christians, would consider it a sin not just to drink, but just to go to a place, a bar, a pub, a club, a party, a cookout where alcohol might not be served. We don't go places like that. And this prohibitionist, you know, they quote verses like this. And I, I don't mean to beat up on them because a lot, a lot of people who say, no, it's all bad, it's all bad, they, they, their, their motives are, are pretty good, all right? They, they, don't, they, they use words like, or Bible verses like this, don't do anything that might cause a brother to stumble. That's good. Jesus taught that. Paul said that. Paul said there are some things that you're allowed to do, but in certain situations, it wouldn't be beneficial to do. I mean, you might be able to do it over there, but don't, don't do it over there. And, and that Jesus, Paul, the God taught this over and over. Christians, you know, let's just be honest. There are some places we probably ought to avoid drinking in the presence of others that might really screw up their lives. You know, if, they, if, if it might, you know, uh, if, if they don't have the ability to practice moderation or self-control. I mean, if you're following Jesus and studying and putting your trust in him and you love people, you got to be careful. You got to be careful to say, you know what? I don't care if it causes you to repeat the same mistakes over and over. So we do have to be careful. But nowhere, that, that's as far as it goes. Don't put any more words in Jesus' mouth. Nowhere does the Bible demand complete abstention. None. See, there were alcoholics in Jesus' day. I bet they were at the wedding. I bet they were. But Jesus ate and drank in such a way that after the wedding, some of his critics falsely accused him of being a glutton and a drunkard. See, it's, it's, it's moderation. You've got to drink in, in consideration of other people. But don't come up with some rule that God didn't come up with. See, Romans chapter 14, verse 21 is that verse that says, don't drink anything that would cause somebody to, to fall down or cause someone to stumble. You know, I've heard lots of sermons on that. But if you go back five words, it says, and don't eat meat. 
that would cause. So don't eat meat or drink anything that would cause anybody to stumble. Yet I have yet to be in a church service, maybe you have, where I found anybody like me stand up here and say, if you're a good Christian, don't eat meat, meat because it might offend the vegans. Or, or how about this? Don't eat meat because it might be a problem for a person who has high blood pressure or who overeats. Although cholesterol and heart, heart disease will kill more people in the United States this year than alcohol and alcoholic accidents or alcoholic disease. It's just true, but I've yet to hear that sermon. See, Martin Luther, all right, said it this way. He said, do you suppose that abuses are eliminated by destroying the object which is abused? He goes on and says this, men can go wrong with wine and women. Shall we then prohibit and abolish women? I vote no, okay, all right? Again, Driscoll, in, in his book, he says this, men sin with women, but we shouldn't abolish women. People worship rock stars, but we shouldn't abolish music. People worship and abuse food, but we shouldn't do away with grocery stores. It's like we said you know, last week, ask any alcoholic in here or any addict in here, beer is not your problem, right? They would say, my desire spun out of control. My heart, my, my, my problem is my heart, it's my mind, it's my soul, my addiction, my drunkenness, that's just a symptom of something that's broken inside of me. Now, do you fix that? Well, listen to what Paul writes, okay, to some people in Colossae, all right, this little town, who kind of said, no, we gotta, we gotta do this and this and this. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow or empty and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, all right, which is all rules and regulations, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules like do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? These are all destined to perish with use because they're based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom. I mean, you can build a case that that sounds right with their self-imposed worship, which is look how good I am, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. They, they can't change what's going on inside of you. And I guess, let me wrap this up. The whole point of today and this whole series is simply this. Hey, Flatirons, and if you're new to Flatirons, hang around. How about this? How about we simply follow Jesus? How about we just study what he said? And if he said to do it, let's do that. And if he didn't say anything about that, let's shut up. Let's don't put words in, in, in his mouth. And let's remember that the only thing that can change anybody is not don't touch, don't drink, don't do that, and don't ever wear that again. That can't change anybody. The only thing that can change anybody is grace through faith in what Jesus did on the cross. And anything else locks us up and locks God out. And what do you do with this? I don't know. The Bible says whatever God tells you to do because you have God living inside of you. And if you ask him, he'll tell you what to do. But remember, please, please do not dumb this down to, tonight was about can Christians drink beer? I don't know if you can or not. By definition, a Christian is simply a believing follower of Jesus sent on a mission to love other people. So let that lead you. But tonight, and this whole series needs to be more about, or seems to be, is this is about my need to repent of my arrogance, of being a judgmental Christian, of trying to be self-righteous, of my hypocrisy. I need to repent. I need to change my mind about using God's word to attack people and lock people out of my church. I need to repent of using God's word as an excuse to to sin and I lock God out of my life. And that's where we're going this week. Next week, okay, let me kind of set this up and we're we're way over time, but I don't care. Um, Next week, it goes like this. Hey, we're gonna talk about sex. 
okay? Sex isn't a good thing. Sex isn't a bad thing. It's just a thing, but it can rock your world in a good way or a bad way. So more homework, all right? So there you go. But um, here's the thing is, we're going to look at next week as, hey, Christians, have you spoken into things you have no business speaking into? And the flip side, have we kind of glossed over some things that we really need to talk about? Now, here's the thing is, okay, I talked about research, but here's, here's how my research is going to be because I'm going to be out of town all week with a bunch of high school kids at a camp. Woo! All right, so, um, so here's the research. Um, I want to hear from you. I want to hear from you about what's going on uh, in your life. I want you to ask some questions. And so I've come up with, a, with an email address. It's just awesome. It's called sex at flatironschurch.com. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? You don't even have to write it down. You'll remember, okay? So it's called sex. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to email me any question you have about sexuality. Now, now here's the thing is, okay? All right? I, just, I, can't, I can't wait to get home tonight. All right? So anyway, here's the thing is, um, here's what I, would, I don't want you to ask me. Don't ask me what I think about anything. Who cares what Jim Bergen thinks about anything? Doesn't matter. And don't ask me this. Hey, what's Flatiron's teacher believe about Okay? Again, who cares? Here's the question. What did Jesus say about, or in the Bible, what does it say about this? I got a question about this. Because that's really, trumps everything. All right? So write it down, and and Darren will find out a way to kind of take your name out of it. So when I read it, I don't walk in here and go, that's you. All right? So... uh, so, and here's the other thing is, okay, now, parents, you know your kids better than anybody else, all right? And I don't want to even, you know, try to tell you what to do. But knowing where I think I'm going next week, if I were you, I would not bring your elementary age children in here. This would be the time to check out our children's ministry um, or uh, get a babysitter. That's, that's my recommendation, but that's between you and God, okay? So now, I'm done, all right? We are going to uh, pray, and then we're going to sing, and then we're going to go eat dinner and drink a Diet Coke or a fat tire, whichever you want to do, whatever God tells you to do. So let me pray, and then we're out of here. So, yeah, this is, this is the only, why do you clap at this sermon? It's like, because I love this church. All right, so uh, I just love God, because he's all about freedom, isn't he? God, you set us free. And we keep wandering back into legalism and throwing stones at people and forgetting that the only reason we're free is that you cut us a great deal. That just by putting our faith and trust in you, you forgive everything and come and live inside of us and help us make these decisions about what is good and what is right and what is better and what is, what is wise. That's, that's why we follow you. So help us to follow you more and ask good questions. And then help us to never, ever think that it's anything other than you where we can put our hope. And then God, I, I, I can't throw stones at all the other churches in the world. I just want this to be the church that runs after you and loves people because I think that's what you had in mind. So you make us individually and as a church into what you had in mind. That's our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.